0: Blog Talk Radio.
1: Hi, and welcome to The Art of Film Funding. I'm your co host, Claire Papan, along with Carol Dean, author of the best selling book, The Art of Film Funding. Carol is also the founder and president of From the Heart Productions and the host of this show. Stephen Fellows is a writer, producer, and storytelling consultant. His work has been featured in outlets such as the New York Times, Times Times-Telegraph, and Guardian, and he's taught at institutions such as the National Film and Television School, Met Film School, NYU and Filmbase. His website, StephenFollow.com, features a variety of filmmaking resources, including a crowdfunding inspiration tool. His production company and leading online video agency is named Cat Snake, and that would be at Catsnake.com, located in Somerset House. His new book, How to Crowdfund Your Film is available on Amazon.com. And, Carol, I understand you are a very big fan of Stephen's work. Yes, Claire. His blogs and
0: mostly his statistical articles, these articles are major contributions to the film industry. So thank you for joining us, Stephen.
2: It's my pleasure. Thank you for having me.
0: Well, you've written so many great informative studies, and um, we're going to cover those. And we want to cover this book, How to Crowdfund Your Film, because it's an excellent book. Uh, we I thought I knew a lot about crowdfunding until I opened this book and started learning from page <laughs> one. So it's, it's shocking how much you think you know, but you don't know. So, uh, But I want to get – let's get started. I want to cover some of the important sections today on the critical issues for filmmakers. But to start with, I want to know how you got into the business of doing analysis for the film industry.
2: Well, I think like most good jobs, it started in the pub um, in the sense that uh, I'm a producer by trade and I became a writer as well. And my production company, we would make short films and and videos for charities and you know viral videos and things like that. and um, I always used to be the person who I can't let something go if someone if two people are disagreeing about something, I want to check it out. Um, I want to find out what the truth is. I, you know I care about the truth. and um, also, I think that uh, because there are so few people talking about data and statistics in the industry it tends to be a good route to tell people things that you could just say to them, you know, you you know, hard work pays off, but if you have a graph, it tends to be more effective. So I always used to do that on the side. And then as my work became less and less about the film industry and more about making videos online and doing storytelling consultancy, I kind of missed the sort of cut and thrust of the film industry and the excuse to get a can and do nothing. And so uh, I decided (laughs) to start, Sharing these articles and so about five years ago I thought well I'll just put them on the blog and I, I didn't really think anyone would read them um, well not many people I just uh, it was kind of an excuse so that I could write them and I wanted to do it anyway so that happened and then I started doing it regularly once a week and it just got I got into a routine and it's a lovely um, outlet you know it, it gives me all sorts of things it's fun um, it's nice to look at something and investigate something afresh and sometimes I find evidence of something i believed. sometimes what i believed was wrong and ultimately it's so nice to see um that the things i find can be used by people of all levels in the industry you know it's there's it's free everyone can use it you don't have to go to a three-year film school you don't have to pay a consultant (laughs) and i can't use most of this stuff and partly because i don't work enough in the industry but also even if i did i'd only work within one genre or area of the industry, and um, I get emails from people saying, oh, that was so useful for our business plan, or we've changed what we were doing because of this, and and obviously crowdfunding being a great, I'm not crowdfunding anything right now, but I love the idea that the research I do can help other people who are at that critical point in their career, and it could really help them, so um, yeah, I get a lot out of it, I really, really enjoy it.
0: Well, you've written so many great informative studies. What statistic have you uncovered that you find the most surprising?
2: Um, The most surprising? Well, I think, honestly, what I I was most surprised at was early on, I did a big um, investigation into film festivals and – it wasn't designed to sort of expose anything, but I certainly as a filmmaker and as a short filmmaker who'd submitted films to lots of festivals had a, an idea that, you know, it's expensive to submit film festivals and um, to festivals. And quite often you don't see anything for that submission fee and, and over, oh, Because you submit to lots of festivals, you end up spending hundreds, maybe thousands of pounds, and you kind of get a negative view, and you you think, oh, they're just in it for the money. And so when I did this study, I spoke to many, many different film festival directors of huge and tiny festivals and everything in between. And when I looked at the economics of it and I sort of sat back, they look just like filmmakers you know they, they're exactly the same as us sure there are some really big ones that you could say is more like hollywood or the studio system where they're more like political machines than they are just for cinephiles um but then most of them are uh, are ones that are really work on the backs of passionate people who work far too hard for far too little money and every year is a stretch to make it work but when they do they get to find and celebrate and screen amazing pieces of art and they, they like nothing more than doing that, and they will work so hard. And I just saw in their eyes and in their in their model, business models, that's what we're all doing. You know, we're, we've all got an idea and a joy and an art that we want to share, and we all work far too hard and for far too little money. But ultimately, <laughs> that's what we've chosen. And I, I kind of, uh, it's so funny, because I didn't think of them as any kind of festivals as any kind of enemy, but I certainly saw them as uh, and I was antagonistic, perhaps, and maybe um, the way we may see lawyers or accountants. Uh, and uh, I discovered after meeting with them and listening to them that they're exactly the same as us. And if, if, the film, if films don't do that, I don't know what films do. You know, tell us that our problems are other people's problems and we can help everyone. And uh, I just, it was the first time that doing data truly took me to a different understanding of something and a better one as well.
0: Oh, my goodness, that is so good to hear, because I haven't met too many people that run festivals, but the few have met, I have found the same thing you just reported, that it, they were overworked and underpaid, and <laughs> they loved it. And it was a gift to, to back to the industry in their mind. This is good. Well, yeah. what was the most depressing thing you found, Stephen?
2: Well, it's funny you should say that. My um, my wife uh, is a director, and she and she joined me one year to Cannes. And um, because my my photo is not all over my site because it's not really about me, people didn't really when they meet me in a party or whatever. They don't really realize it's me for a little bit. So I was chatting with her and this filmmaker we bumped into, and and after a few minutes, he said, "Oh, you're that Stephen Follows," and I said, "Yes," and he said, "Oh, I read your <laughs> stuff. It's it's really depressing." And my wife said, wait, what do you, what What do you mean? You don't seem that depressed. You seem fairly happy. And, and why, why is it depressing? Like she hadn't quite worked out what was going on. And uh, the guy explained it really well. He said, look, uh, most people don't tell you what's happening and they don't tell you how it actually works. And this, you know, whenever I look at something, I try and be honest. And in most cases, I'm not telling you the secret magic formula to make a lot of money because I don't don't think it exists. But what I am doing is sort of grounding people in the reality of how hard something will be or how few films make it through to the final hurdle that they're dreaming of. And I I hope I do it with kindness, and I hope I do it in the pursuit of helping people uh, make it more likely to reach their vision. Um, But, yeah, so there there are things like um, the number of people who make a second film in the UK after having written, produced, or directed one film. It's only about one out of five that make a second film. Um, oh, my gosh. Initially, that sounds terrible, but let me let me at least try and, and change your mind as to how you should view that. Uh, I would say that um, that says that many people are making films and many people, you know, the barriers to entry are far lower than they used to. I'd say that there are many people who are making a, a directing or producing a film or even writing a film because they want to star in it or because they want to do you know one of the other jobs and so the fact that they don't make a second one in the the role they didn't want to do just shows that they did manage to attract a, another producer or someone so they didn't have to produce it um, and also making a film is staggeringly hard and it's an impressive endeavor and to make it a good film is even harder and maybe some people do it and say "I'm glad I did that that was great but That's not something I want to go and do again. And they go and work in television or in somewhere else where they can actually get paid. (laughs) Um, And so, (laughs) you know, the the, the one in five that make the second film are the tenacious ones, the ones that are are, are probably going to go and make far more after that. So every depressing stat has the reverse side of it, you know, the reverse viewpoint.
0: Right. This is incredible. Well, what made you decide to focus on crowdfunding?
2: Where, Where did you come up with that decision? Well, I mean, what I study is a mix of how easy something is to, to get the data and also how, how rarely it's studied by other people. And there are other people that were studying crowdfunding, but no one had done what I would want to do, which is gather all the data they could uh, about film and then answer questions to filmmakers rather than making general comments about all of crowdfunding. Um, film is quite a big part of the crowdfunding universe, but it's not the only one. And if you've invented a new 3D printer, your experience with crowdfunding will be very, very different. So, so I felt that there was a need. And then once I gathered the data, I, I realized how much uh, learning there was in it. And I ended up making it three or four blog posts, uh, which is quite a lot for me. I tend to put things out in one. Um, and I, there were so many different avenues of looking at what people were doing, what, what, what was correlated with success, and then how that links to other things, and then pitfalls that people commonly make, and there was lots of things like that. And I, I just found that every the more I turned over the data, and the more I looked at a different aspect, the more interesting I found it, and the more interesting I thought my audience would find it. And if I find something out, I want to sh- you know I want to share it. I want it to get into the hands of the people it can help. So that sort of started my journey. Those sort of three or four blog articles, uh, three or four years ago, however long ago it was.
0: There's just so many parts and moving parts, they say, and bases to crowdfunding. And uh, and you've certainly covered them well. I love it with all the pie <laughs> charts and the graphs and all this stuff, because nobody gives us that kind of information. Uh, there's some good books out there on crowdfunding, but not like this, because this has got to a lot of visuals and uh and stats that i 've never seen before, and i 've been dying to know things, so we 're going to learn a lot <laughs> in this uh, in this goal and I thank you for all the filmmakers out there for the work you 've done. This is what stupendous, I would say because see we teach crowdfunding our job here at from the heart is to promote and support filmmakers. Uh, and and education is number one on the list, and and it's open to everyone, whether you're physically sponsored by us or not. Uh, so I started in uh, 2011 as a partner with Indiegogo, and I really thought that I knew a lot. <laughs> <But> <laughs> I learned I learned so much from your book; I was shocked. So I want to start with the average success rate of Kickstarter, what did you find there?
2: So I looked at it, and, and, and with all of these um, figures, you can always go in deeper or subdivide the data. Um, but I found across all of the films about 40, I think it was 43% uh, were successful. Um, but obviously that's not, that's not the end of the story. That's not enough to think that it's a, a, a lottery where you can roll the dice and you have a 43% success, you know, chance of success. Um some things were um, unsurprising you know if you ask for less money there's a there's a greater chance that you will succeed which you know makes sense um but also there were things that were correlated to do with how you write your campaign and whether you include a video as part of your you know the headline sell of your campaign and things like that and so what was interesting to me was the breakdown of all those these little correlations um and I think the big thing is also that I try and impress upon filmmakers is that it's not a random 43%, you know, it's not a four out of 10 chance. It's that those 43%, some may be lucky, but the vast majority of them have done their research and they're asking for the right amount of money and they've put work into it. And they've probably done a lot of planning, which is sure something I'm sure we'll pick up based on in this, in this interview. Um, and so it's something that we can affect, um, but one thing I would say is that um, your experience is, is very, very typical to other people in the sense that there are, I can't think of almost anything else that, uh, in the filmmaking process that is this critical that we as filmmakers would learn on the go for the first time we've ever done it would be on the project where we need it to work. And it's a one-time thing in the sense that you do the campaign and you get the money or you don't. When we use a new camera, we might shoot test material beforehand. We'll review the rushes. we have a chance to iterate. You know, can you imagine if you were shooting on 35 mil for the first time ever and you said, oh, I I don't understand why it doesn't come out. And it's because (laughs) we feel like we all I mean, I'm exactly the same. We all feel like we should know crowdfunding, but actually it's a whole um, it's a skill and it's an art and it's something you can learn. And I, I really want to sort of encourage people to do very basic research, you know, look at other campaigns that are similar and see if they succeeded and make your own judgment as to why. Look at ones that are current. If you can advise or help or support somebody else who's running an active one, because a lot of these things that people learn in the first time round, uh, and especially the people who are in the sort of 57% that don't make it successful, they've learned so much, uh, and they could probably have a good chance of, of succeeding next time. But they're also burnt by the experience, and they now move on and decide that crowdfunding doesn't work. That no, it doesn't work. Um, and the truth is, uh, you you know you've got to put time in, and you've got to learn it.
0: You have to learn it it's a skill it's an art those are that's what you said, and that is so true. I say it's a different animal. you've never done this before. Oh, I've raised money Carol for years. I know <laughs> what I'm doing no, you don't this is it's it's this since twenty eleven I've been trying to open their minds. This is a whole new concept, but now I <laughs> just say, go buy this book because it's in there
2: uh, it, so you're absolutely right. Sorry, you're absolutely yeah. right. People think that they that that because they've raised money in other forums or because they've managed to sell other people on their films, they can do it here. But it, it's just a whole different space. It's not impossible to learn. It's not it's not even that hard if you put the time in. But it is different to what you've done before if you've not done crowdfunding.
0: Right on. Um, okay, so now if, if Indiegogo falls in that forty three percent. Range, You said that's where you got that number? Yeah,
2: well, that was Kickstarter. I mean, Indiegogo, uh, they were a bit more cagey um, about, and and it's harder for me to get the data. So I don't have an easy answer for Indiegogo. When when I spoke to uh, their head of creative at the time, he said that the success rate for film projects is around 30%, which is lower. But again, I I do want to say that that doesn't mean that you have a greater chance on Kickstarter that's probably got a lot to do with the fact that Indiegogo are a lot more liberal about what you can do and how you can do it. And so there may be projects that wouldn't survive on Kickstarter that would on Indiegogo or, you know what I mean? They're, they're not, yes, um, yes. It, it makes a difference what platform you're on and platforms attract different types of filmmakers who put in different amounts of effort. So I, I don't think there is a good platform or a bad platform.
0: Well, agreed. But I, uh, I want to know, what you think about seed and spark because uh they say they have an 80 percent success rate have you checked mm-hmm. that out
2: i have and 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 it's Spark Spark are one of those uh the experience i have with them was really uh joyful because initially it fit, fitted into a negative perception i had and then it sort of turned it all around so i got an email from a pr company who were working for seed and spark and they emailed me one of these emails that you imagine is written by a PR person that said uh, something along the lines of, you know, I represent Stephen Spark and we are uh, twice as good as any other site, and uh, you know, we're so amazing and you should write about us. And and I was, I don't know whether I was in a particularly good mood or bad mood, but it was definitely <laughs> one of the two. And and I just, I I think i have had an ex- I'd had a, a nice interaction with Emily Best, who who founded and runs the site before, and so I I thought. I actually have a lot of respect for her. And I thought, okay, I'm going to reply to this PR company and cc Emily in and say, look, you can't. And what I said was a very polite version of you can't go around making these claims. You know, I've heard good things about Steven Spark, but now I think less of you guys because you're just creating false claims. You're not twice as good as anybody else. Um, And uh, the success rate's not twice as good. Or if it is, you need to back it up because if it's that impressive, you can't just claim it because – You've got no credibility because, you know, PR people say that. Anyway, so Emily replied and said, um, uh, thanks, Stephen. Uh, some of the language was a bit, you know, y, uh, But actually, if you want to check out our stats, we will give you access to all of our projects if you want to. And I, and I, wow. I, I, can, I couldn't say no at this point. And I didn't want to. But, I, you know, huge respect to Emily for that because she really, uh, fundamentally, the claim they were making, wasn't false and she was willing to back it up so uh, they gave me access to all of their projects and their internal dashboards and there was nothing hidden from me um and i could also verify it because i could see what was public and like they just they didn't they didn't try and control what i could see or what i could do and they also didn't have approval over what i would write i promised not to reveal anything that was private you know no one's email address or you know the kind of concerns people would have but fundamentally I could write any article I wanted based on their data and when I crunched all the numbers over the period of time that I looked at which was up until I think um, April last year uh, it was about 75% success and uh, so what they were saying was was right broadly Um, and the detail was fascinating and and how much people people, uh, pledged on average slightly more than on Kickstarter Projects are much more successful, and uh, you know I would say that they've had much fewer projects, uh, far fewer projects than Kickstarter or Indiegogo, so they're more boutiquey. But I don't think that's the main reason. I think um, they attract good filmmakers. I think they uh, work with filmmakers before the, the campaigns are launched, so they help weed out problems. And I also think they really get and understand filmmakers, and they want to. they they, they do training. And they've done a, a series of training um, uh, events, which have been—I haven't been, but from what I've heard—rather impressive. And their commitment seems to be really to the film community. And uh, by the way, I, I didn't get anything to say any of this stuff, and I still don't. I just really respect <laughs> their their approach and their openness. And um, you can't knock that. You know, you, they're the, the people we were talking about earlier on—the who run film festivals—who do it from their soul. And um, Emily and her team—they run Seed and Spark from their soul—and that's why, it's, you know, one of the main reasons why it's so successful. So it was a very pleasant experience for me to call, think I was calling someone out for for exaggerating, and find out that they were spot on. It was—I was delighted.
0: Oh, that's fun when that happens. I like it. Well, yeah. <clears throat> I think um, I think they take control, which is what is needed. I mean, I've tried very hard. To tell filmmakers, you know, you're not going to raise a million dollars with three 3,000 names. I don't think that's going to work. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> but they're, they're not in reality. They say, well, Mary did or John did. So... <clears throat> Uh, When Seed&Spark works with people, they make them come back to reality. They get really in control with them and say, no, from what I see with your database, don't run now. Go raise more names and come back, or you're ready, but you're only going to be able to get 15000 So this is the realistic number, and you're going to have to work very hard to do that. And they listen, you see. This mm-hmm. is the key in this because it's a new field, and you do have to listen. But you can walk away with that fifteen, because it follows you, Stephen. Everybody wants to know: Did you have a campaign? And you say, Yes, I did. I I did. They say, Well, did you hit your goal? And you say, No, because no. They don't want to hear. <laughs> it's a no, and that's it. it stays with you. Well, mm-hmm. let's get into the book because I'm just really chomping at the bit here to get some of this information for the filmmakers I really want to go to the five P's of pre-launch crowdfunding
2: Uh, yeah so um, I'm a writer and I like alliteration and puns and so no puns here but there is alliteration and I I, um, was trying to think about the simplest way I could explain um, the things that are the most critical Um, and this is all in the pre-launch phase so this is in the let's say your campaign is A month long you should be spending about a month um, pretty much full-time preparing for it because I think that's a good rule of thumb is uh, the minimum would be as long as your campaign is spend about that long beforehand really working on it um, because it will take time but it will pay off as you said season spark helped in this pre-launch phase and that's why uh, they have a better success rate so I've sort of put together the sort of five things that I think are key and um, the first two could happen in either order so the first two are the pitch and the people. So you might start with your pitch. So you might understand what your unique, compelling thing that will you know, delight your audience. You might know, okay, I know that it's about the rewards or the idea for my film or whatever it is. You might start with your self, you know, your pitch. Um, or, or you might start with your people. You might say, I know that my film that I'm going to make is about you know, horses, and I, and I know that the audience for horses like these kind of things, so I'm going to build my campaign around my audience. Um, but whether it's your pitch or your people, you tend to start with one of them, and you have to fill in the other one. so you know if you know what you're unique and unique about your film, then you need to identify who are the people who will be that will speak to the best um, and if you start with your audience, you know I have a community that will probably back me, then you have to think about what would be a compelling pitch to them that would be unique and you know something that really gets them going um, so once you 've got your pitch and your people, you understand. Uh, who you're going to sell what to. Uh, then you've got your planning uh, and you do as much research as possible. So, this is where you try and, this is even before your pre launch phase. So, this would be in the month or two leading up to your month before your campaign, where you just, in the evenings and the weekends and your lunch break, you noodle around looking at other crowdfunding sites uh, who are asking a similar amount of money, um, maybe films on the same niche or niche that you're doing. Uh, and again, to your same audience, you know, who else is, uh, you know, going through the Facebook pages of the people, uh, of, of the of pages that um, your, your, your audience frequent and see what, who else is pitching to them and what's successful. Um, so once you've done that sort of plan, then you've got process. Uh, this is the penultimate one where you're building a team and working out who's going to do what with your tasks, and you're sort of building a machine. This is definitely the sort of pre-launch, and you, you can think of it as pre-production. You know, you start pre-production with a budget and a script and maybe uh, the director and a few cast members, but that's all you've got. And you end pre-production ready to shoot. Well, off, hopefully. Um, and that's the same here. You start with your, how much you need to raise, and you start with your uh, idea for your film, and then you end this month-long or however long it is, this process, by knowing uh, you've got a load of people. Some will help you very directly, some that will be more tangential, but they all know what they're doing, and they're all primed. Um, and then finally, the last P is promote. And I think this is something that's quite tricky for filmmakers. You know, most filmmakers see themselves as artists and don't want to be salesmen and don't have a lot of respect for a lot of salesmen. And I understand that, and I'm not asking filmmakers to completely transform who they are. But they do have to acknowledge that the things that tend to work are things that are promoted. And so you've got one of two choices. Either you can be the main salesperson for your film, uh, Behind-the-scenes planning and also in, in front which is fine Maybe if you're not very rehearsed with this get some people to help you or you know read a book about marketing or sales. Um And if you're not then that's fine, but find somebody that is you know if if you're uh, a director by trade Then you've got somebody else to be your costume design, designer on set, you know if you're a producer You're not going to direct the film necessarily So if you're not a salesperson find somebody that can come on board who believes in your vision or is willing to do it for some money or whatever the deal you strike is, but somebody has to really be thinking about the promotion because it's not true that you can just put up your site, put up your page and the money comes in, um, in the same way you don't just write your script and then the budget appears <laughs> or the final film on DVD coming through your door. You know, there is a whole process. Um, but what I would say is that whilst we may not be salespeople, filmmakers are storytellers. Uh, and we are, we do like compelling stories, and we like entertaining people, and we certainly have to bring, uh, recruit and bring a whole load of people on board our project, and independent to money. You know, when you're pitching to people that might become your DOP, and there's not enough money, or your first AD, or someone like that, you say, look, this film's going to be great. It's going to be a fun shoot. It's going to be tough, but we're going to do it. And look at this story, and think about this moment, and they read the script, and you know, we are used to selling. We just don't call it sales. Um, and so you might want to call it enthusing, or you know, just sharing your passion. Um, so there, there we go. So we got there are the three, the, the sorry, the five P's. You've got pitch and people. One of them is first, and then you fill in the other one. And then in order, you've got planning, process, and then promotion.
0: Oh my gosh, they're so important. Well done. That's excellent. Now, what are some of the reasons that people give to crowdfunding campaigns?
2: Well, that's a, that's a really good question. I was thinking about that when I was starting to look at the gifts that people give, and I was thinking about why do people give, what's the the reason, and, and I guess it's a sort of a spectrum. If you think on one end of the spectrum, you've got people who are basically using uh, Kickstarter or whichever site you're using, like an Amazon.com. You know, they, they see T-shirts, and they see gifts and, and experiences and unique things they can't get anywhere else, and they're purchasing them, and, and that's fine, you know, that, that, Um, if you have a unique t-shirt or something that they can buy, then actually that's great. Um, On the other hand, you've also got people on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. You've got people who are totally invested in you and what you're doing. And if you went to them and said, I want to build a house, I want a new jet ski, I want to do something because I believe in it. And they would say, you're my nephew. I'll give it to you or whatever it is. Um, These are people who are backing you. And then in the middle of these two extremes, You've got people who kind of want to be part of something but don't necessarily know you. You've got people that feel like this is an important project, uh, artistically, or if it's documentary, then maybe it's the cause. Um, And then you've got people who actually want to watch your film, who are kind of interested in the end result. So it's not quite an Amazon.com situation, but it's also not about you. And I think if you think about the Amazon.com and the film people as more of a transaction, you know, you're selling something for a price. And they're going to weigh it up and think about how exclusive or unique it is. And if it's worth it, they'll buy it. And then the people who want to see you succeed or they want to be part of something, that's more of an emotional reason. Now, those emotional people, you probably know a lot of them already. And they're probably going to give no matter how good your pitch is or how good your campaign is. And so that's great in the short term, but they don't scale very well. You know, you have a certain number of aunts and uncles already. You can't make any more. Uh, Whereas on the other hand, if you're able to offer things that are more transactional, you might make less money on each donation because they'll give you $20, but you have to spend $10 sending them a t-shirt. But that could in theory scale quite far. So these are things to think about, you know, what do you have to offer that's unique, who might back you, and can it scale to whatever your budget level is? If you need $500, you can probably rely on the people who just want to be involved for emotional reasons. If you need $500,000, you probably need some transactional people as well, and you need to have uh, rewards that can scale.
0: Rewards that can scale. That is so true. I've seen that really, <laughs> really work, right? Um, now, can you, uh, in your book, you mentioned that getting press coverage is essential to raising large amount of money. Now, tell us some tips on this. How can filmmakers do this? Because they're usually on limited budgets.
2: Absolutely, and I think the you've got to remember that it's not a linear scale. If you double the amount of money you want, you're not just going to double the work. You might change the work you're doing. So, if you need to raise a thousand dollars, you probably don't need the New York Times to have you on the head, you know, front page. You, you don't need necessarily print journalism to follow you. Not that it wouldn't hurt, but you know that's probably not what you need. But if you're trying to make the biggest ever crowdfunding campaign, you're trying to raise ten million dollars, you almost certainly need the foghorn, the horn, the, you know, the really wide net of traditional press or of, of of other outlets. And so think about like that. Think about uh, how wide and how broad do you need to go? But whatever it is, unless you already know everybody who's going to donate to you, you're going to need platforms and you're going to need people who can amplify your message and reach new people. Uh, you can't rely on knowing everyone. Otherwise, you're just going to email everyone you know and, and piss them off with, a thousand, please donate money to me. Emails. Um, so if you think about it, we've got like email. You can email people. You can join in people you do know, or, or you could uh, talk to people who have email lists and sort of do deals with promotion, or maybe they just want to support you. Social media is very very powerful, but you've got to have something to say. I, I want your money is not a good thing to say, and you can only say it once or twice. And if your campaign's a month long, you need new things to say. So it might well be that you have to create a compelling story as to why your film should exist or why you need the money. You know, maybe you're the first person in your tiny town to ever make a feature film and that matters. And therefore you're going to spend the the crowdfunding month sharing stories from your town and, you know, that, that kind of thing, find something unique. Um, You also can think about uh, whether it's um, like outreach where you're, Trying to reach out to other organisations that already have a big community. So, uh, uh, if you're doing a, um, uh, a a project about science, you might go to the there's a huge Facebook page that's got millions of supporters called I effing love science. Uh, and those people, if you can can convince the one or two gatekeepers there that you you've got something that their audience are going to love, then they might be able to amplify your message way further than you could yourself. Um, my main tip with those ones is that that takes a lot of time so if you're intending or you're hoping to get a lot of big pages or sites to back you go to them early give them exclusive information talk to them you know it's the same as meeting a person if the first thing you say to somebody when you first meet them is give me something they won't get to know you whereas if you're able to go and talk to them and, and share your passion and help them with something they're much more likely to help you um and then the last one which is very big um but is probably it's more of a risk and it's probably only needed for very large campaigns is the idea of putting some money behind advertising now this may sound strange to a lot of filmmakers partly because we don't really do the advertising exhibitors and distributors do and also because why am i paying to try and raise money that may 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 sound antithetical it may sound strange but if you need to reach new audiences there may be ways of whether it's simply paying an a email list to include your, you know, your campaign or whether literally you want to do various kinds of advertising on Facebook. or, I mean, I, I, I go to Kickstarter and Indiegogo a lot, and so whenever I'm logging into Facebook, I see lots of adverts that people have paid, usually for technology. Usually there's a, a new kind of toaster or something, and they, they, they've decided that it's worth spending the money to reach people like me because I, I have a apparently higher chance than average to, to buy whatever this new item is. Um, I don't see too many filmmakers doing this, but I also don't think that it automatically wouldn't work if you've got a compelling story or compelling rewards. So um, treat that carefully. It's very easy to spend money. And the last thing you want to do with crowdfunding is lose money. But it's it's worth investigating all of this in the months leading up to your campaign and just investigating it, you know, just having a look. Is it worth doing a partnership with a company that will take a chunk of your money but will amplify your voice? You know, are there websites and, and journalists that you can talk to early on and, and get them interested and and work out why they might support you and, and you know, get that to work? So I think it's a lot of this is about preparation and understanding your options before you start.
0: Absolutely. And um, a lot of times there are local uh, places, you know, that uh, local newspapers that will grab an ad and run it for a filmmaker. You've got to go in as a filmmaker and uh, because people, we all love filmmakers. Uh, so that's another idea. Your local newspaper could be very beneficial to you. Uh, well, what I want to know next is uh, what did you find is the best link Campaign? How many days?
2: Well, it's it's interesting because um, people often think of crowdfunding purely as sort of it's thirty days and that's it. And uh, often some sites do restrict you to thirty days, and also it's what most people think of. Uh, and and there are a large number of campaigns that do run for thirty days, but you can run them for a lot shorter or a lot longer. Um, and I, I on Kickstarter, I think you can run them between one and sixty days, which is the same as Indiegogo. Um, Stephen spark I think require you to do 30 45 or 60 days um, and so there's lots of different uh, options and it's interesting because uh, y- your instinct once you know you can run it for anywhere between you know one and 90 days or one and 60 days uh, your instinct might be saying okay 50 60 you know give the most amount of time so that people can come on board um, but I found something really interesting um, that was true for projects that were trying to raise over $100,000. You know, there is a slight uptick with the ones that last longer than 30 days. They, they have a slightly higher success rate. But interestingly, for all projects under, uh, under $100,000, and what I'm about to say was most pronounced for projects under $5,000, the shorter campaigns, the campaigns under 30 days had higher success rates than the ones that were 30 days long, and the ones that were 30 had higher ones than ones were over 30. So what is going on here? Well, I think it's about urgency. I think the idea, uh, well, it's two things. One is urgency, One, the idea that this is something that's happening now, it's really important, whereas 30 days is a long time to hear the same story from your friends or colleagues who are trying to raise money. And then I think the other thing is that when you look at the curve of over the, let's say you run a 30 day campaign. When does most of your money come in? Well, it comes in towards the very beginning and it comes in towards the very end. And in the middle sort of days, days 13, 14, 15, you might have days where you raise almost nothing, maybe nothing if your campaign's small enough because you've got nothing new to say, it's ongoing, there's no urgency, no news. And so when you compress your campaign and change it from say 30 to 20 days, you don't lose the beginning and you don't lose the end. You lose those middle days that weren't actually bringing much in. And so there could be a very strong argument. If you're not trying to raise hundreds of thousands of dollars, it may be a good argument to run a shorter, louder campaign, You know, put more energy into it, and you'd be able to ask more favors of people. Because rather than saying, I need you to manage my social media for 30 days, you can say, look, we're doing this for 10 days. It's gonna be, I mean, you know what it's like when it's a film set, a film shoot, it's the same thing. It's much easier to get people to work for free or lower rates on a shorter period of time. And, you know, it'll be more tiring per day, but maybe um, you'll be able to use that energy, drive it out, and see people and see that something's happening. It'll make everything feel more real. And you, uh, the days that you've, quote, unquote, lost from going down from 30 to 20 weren't valuable days anyway.
0: Wow. That's a whole new take. I've not heard that one. <laughs> That's Great. Now, but what about this 30%? People that raise 30% of their goal in the first 48 hours have a much greater chance of reaching their goal. Do you have any statistics on that?
2: Yeah, that's really, it's a really interesting statistic. And it, and it, it does really underline how how much of the, uh, you need sort of the news and the buzz and in perhaps an existing audience. Um, so I think there's a few things going on there. I mean, one, there is a, um, uh, and and uh, people have – I haven't had anyone from the, from Indiegogo or Kickstarter officially tell me this, but I do – and I've had plenty of filmmakers tell me their theories, but I can't give you the, the exact factual answer on this. But there is definitely an echo effect where if in the first few hours you raise uh, a lot of money, which obviously might only be a few percent of your goal, but let's say you raise 5 or 10 percent of your goal in the first few hours, uh, then it goes – it looks – more successful than some of the other campaigns that have just launched and it increases your chances of being put on the mailing list or being uh, returned higher in the search results of new campaigns. And then that has an echo effect where when you're easier to find more people back you. And so if you can, in the same way that in the opening weekend, if your indie movie can, can outperform expectations in the first, you know, Friday night or the Saturday, you're much more likely to get a bigger and wider run in the second week. Um, So think of it like that. If you can earn a lot of money early on, you tend to get into a virtuous cycle, an echo chamber of more people increasing your popularity, which increases more people donating. Um, And I would say also that there is a PR uh, battle about how successful a campaign is. You know, nobody wants to back a loser. and Nobody wants to back something that doesn't look like it's working. you, You know, you'd be, you're scared of feeling foolish and also you feel like your money couldn't help. So sometimes filmmakers also chip in a bit of money themselves when they start. So they can say, it's only been 48 hours, but we're a third of the way there. That's super exciting. Thanks everybody. Um, and there is a little sneaky little thing, which is not strictly against the rules, but it's definitely against the spirit of things. But I have heard of filmmakers doing, which is when you pledge to give money to a crowdfunding campaign, you don't, your credit card isn't charged until the very end. And uh, with Kickstarter, only if the full amount is reached, which means that if you say, I'm going to give you $1,000 uh, at the beginning of the campaign, it's, nothing happens until the end of the campaign. So filmmakers who are trying to raise, let's say, $10,000, they might chip in $2,000 on their own card at the very beginning because nothing actually leaves their, their card. And then it looks like it's hugely successful. And then over the coming days, you can edit the amount that you've pledged and so behind the scenes, people are changing it from $2,000 to 1500 know 1500 $1, and they're slowly taking back their donations. Now, as I said, I'm not recommending this, and I'm not even saying it's morally right, it's, but it's not against the rules. Um, and so this can give you the illusion that things are a huge success uh, whilst at the same time you know, recouping the money. You've just got to remember to change your bid, otherwise you'll end up donating your money to yourself and um, <laughs> losing the, the transaction fees and the 5% that the platform keep
0: exactly right and if you have a, a non-profit losing that fee too absolutely okay yes, exactly. this is all so exciting uh, but i want to just take a minute i want you to give us your website again and let us know about more about cat snake what do you do there
2: definitely so uh, my website is Uh and um that is my name, by the way. I, I had a strange email exchange with somebody not that long ago who kept asking me what my surname was, and I kept saying it 's follows and He said, "No, no, no your real surname and i was like i don 't know why i 'd make this one up. Um, I think it 's social media and followers and things, but no that 's me um, if i 'd like to think i 'm more creative than this if I was going to come up with something um, uh, anyway, so yeah, so and then cats think like my my company we we are a storytelling agency, so we um, we work with lots of charities, uh, big charities and small charities, to help them sometimes make TV adverts um, and sometimes to help them understand how to communicate with the public. Um, we've worked with uh, all sorts of big, I mean, we're doing a lot of work at the moment for UNICEF. We've worked a lot with um, uh, Amnesty we're doing work with compassion and well farming and we do lots of different charities and we try and bring a sto- a filmmaker's storytelling, um, approach to, you know, filmmakers know that stories can change the world and can inspire people, but bring that to the world of online communication, um, for the good guys, you know, for charities to try and encourage people to make change in the world, raise money, uh, leave money in their will. That's something we're working on a lot with at the moment. Um, and so it's really rewarding work. It's really uh, fun to be creative for the right people, um, which is – and also it leaves me free to say whatever I want about the film industry because I'm not going to lose any gigs, um, which I think <laughs> has been a real blessing. Uh, I don't tend to publish bad things, or uh, and I try very hard not to disparage people or projects uh, unnecessarily. It's not, my, it's not my interest. But if I see a problem or I see nefarious business practices, I'll be the first to say it. And uh, I can only do that because um, I have nothing to lose. And and there are many people who in the film industry who would love to be able to do something similar, but because they're wrapped up in their films, they can't speak out of turn. And that's, you know, so I I speak for some of those people sometimes. They they may tell me things that I investigate and then publish as if I found them. But I was definitely tipped off a few times.
0: Oh, wonderful. This sounds like a lot of fun for all of us. We all get the rewards. (laughs) Okay. So and your and so it's spelled S T E P H E N F O L L O W S dot com.
2: That's right. Yeah. Okay. Great. And is it, is it, is it a little tip, actually, if you put in, if you go into Google and you type in the word site S I T E, and then put a colon, and then write StephenFollows dot com, uh, and then put a space and write crowdfunding. What that will do is that will search all over my site for all the articles that involve the word crowdfunding. So you'll only get answers from my site. And that might be the quickest route to have a look at the, all the things I've written over the years about crowdfunding.
0: Well, Stephen follows, and then you do what? Backslash? Crowdfunding? So no, you
2: do, first of all, you write site, S-I-T-E, because that's the instruction that tells Google, only look at StephenFollows.com. Don't look at any other websites. So you put site and then a colon, so the two dots, uh-huh. uh, and then StephenFollows.com, and then, Whatever you write after that, whatever you put a space and whatever you type, it will search those keywords, but only on my site. And that's a, sh- I- I'll be honest, that's how I navigate my website, because I forget what I've studied. Um, so uh, if you put crowdfunding in there, it'll bring up all the pages I've done and all the work I've done on crowdfunding. Uh, that's probably easier than just clicking back over articles, because I've done about 250 now, so it'd be a lot of clicking.
0: Oh my gosh, that's fabulous! Okay, well let's
2: follow the money here. So (laughs) let's stay
0: on that. What percentage of followers on social media turn into donors? I I know it's lower than the your database where you have an email, but what percentage did you find?
2: I didn't. uh, It's tricky because it's hard to work out exactly how many where these people came from. It's a lot lower than you think. I don't have a hard figure for everybody because it will also depend on how many people are connected to. So my Facebook page, my, my Facebook personal page, I only really uh, connect with people who are friends of mine, whereas my LinkedIn page, I will accept anyone. I am, I am very um, open. And so that means that if I were to run a crowdfunding campaign tomorrow, I would expect to have a higher conversion of people on my Facebook page because it's more filtered and considered than LinkedIn. Um, And I think that people uh, think, well, I have, let's say, let's say I have 500 people on Facebook, I have loads of people. Well, if only half of them gave me, you know, $10, then I've got two and a half grand. But it it doesn't really work like that. Because most of your posts on Facebook are not seen by most of your followers. Most, you know, look how quickly you skim past other people's posts. Because you're looking for the constantly playing that game, looking for the next um, interesting post by somebody, and even then, some people might want to donate, but they might be might not have any money or whatever it might be. So, people rely far too heavily on their social feed, um, and sadly, it's not as it's not the same as if you had 500 people around for dinner. You know, when you have them in the room, you can shake the bucket, but when they're online, it's much easier for them to miss what you're saying, either act on a, uh, by accident or on purpose.
0: Uh, very true i say one okay, uh, yeah. percent don't it they, <laughs> i say it, they're fickle they're not going to give you money they love you but it's they just click you and go on by where those people on your database they care about you or you wouldn't have their name
2: exactly and i think also if you give people very easy ways of um, leaving the database the way you should anyway, you know, and unsubscribe at the end. And that means that over time, the people that, that, that find you and stay on your database, they're much more likely to actually want what you're giving. And the idea is not to have the biggest ever database you could ever have. The idea is to have the kind of people that you want to hear from you and you want to talk to them. And so I think it's not about um, size. It's about the quality of it and, and how many people will actually respond when you ask something of them
0: exactly well what about the average donations can you give us any statistics on that
2: uh I can I'm just I'm actually if I'm honest I'm actually looking for them now Um, because I looked at uh, all sorts of um, things about how many people would donate to to campaigns and uh, the average goal as well so there was all sorts of things that I'm looking at I'm just trying to find it it's one of those things where on my own site I find it hard to find things Um, well what I can tell you is that there was uh, it differs a lot within each project so um, each uh, genre so for example action films and television are asking for more money and so in some cases, the amount of money that people would donate would be larger on that. Whereas when you're on small...
1: Oh, Stephen, I think we've lost you. Yes, it, it looks like he may have, uh, the line may have dropped. So it may take a moment for him to call and get back on the line. But in the meantime, um, Carol would... Would you like to – oh, well, wait, hold on just one moment. It looks like he's already back with us. Here we (laughs) go. Hi, Stephen.
2: Hello. Sorry about that. (laughs) That's okay. We're we're, we're
0: asking about average donations.
2: Yeah, so it it depends. on. It's different for each of the different uh, uh, campaigns. And and one of the things I found was that – uh, some campaigns, you think, well, why have they got you know, hundreds and hundreds of dollars from a small number of people? And other ones would have very, very small donations from a large number of people. And in that regard, there isn't really an average that you can say, you know, even on things like Seed and Spark, which had quite high donations in some months the average pledge was around two hundred and fifty dollars. that's the average so some must be a lot higher than that and then other day other months the average across the campaigns would be 50 dollars. so that's quite a considerable difference um and so what i would say is that um that crowdfunding a film is not one thing that everyone sort of falls into the same slipstream uh in the way that perhaps the traditional recruitment model would be of how which windows you go to uh and how much you can expect here it's a, every project is different, and you, the, what you need to do is research them, your kind of project uh, and see how they're performing now. You know, if you're thinking of launching a campaign in a few months, then spend some time on Kickstarter and have a look at what other people are doing and what's what's being successful. Um, uh, yeah, this is
0: great. Yeah, that's good advice. Now, what did you find that filmmakers were doing wrong in crowdfunding? Can you? give us uh, an overview of that
2: yeah well one of the things I wanted to measure I always when I try and measure something that is hard to measure I, I get really sort of focused and think how can I find a proxy how can I find something that indicates uh, that whether my assumption is true or false and one of the assumptions I had was that planning makes a difference you know uh, the more you prepare your campaign and uh, the more you do your research, um, the better your chance you have of success. But I didn't want that to be something I was guessing. I wanted to measure it. And I found a clever way of doing it in that I could, I could have a look at when somebody launched a campaign on Kickstarter. And then I could also look at when they first created their account, because this is public information. So if you joined in January this year and then you um, launched your campaign in July, then you, it, six, seven months is how long you've been there. And I found a really strong connection between how long people, the longer people have been on the cam, um, on Kickstarter registered, the the higher chance you had of success. So this is evidence that the more research you do, the more time you're considered about what you're trying to do, the higher chance you're going to have of succeeding. And so um, I'd say the biggest single thing people don't do is prepare and research. Um, but you know, other things that people often do wrong. Um, people expect money. I think um, we we don't like giving money and supporting people who feel entitled or demand money. You know, we, we like people who ask us and pitch to us. And we have to remember that the power is very much within the audience. Um, in the past, maybe 20, 30 years ago, you could argue that some filmmakers had the power over the audience. But now, audience has have so many different ways of watching so much different content. That we as filmmakers need to make our pitch to them and ask them rather than tell them they should be grateful they have the opportunity to back you. (laughs) And, you know, we've all seen that sort of ungrateful expectation campaign and nothing turns you off faster. You know, exactly.
0: Exactly. Well, in this section you have on how to crowdfund your film, you tell us how to define your audience. Please, this is so critical to expand your database. Share some of this.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think the most important thing to remember is that, uh, as I touched on earlier on, it's not about the size of your potential audience. It's about how motivated they are, because um, you don't need like a million people to hit like or or come watch your video, your crowdfunding video, and say, oh, I like that person. That, if that's all they do, they're no use to you. What you need is a small number of people that are going to get their credit card out, are going to type numbers in, and be committed to supporting you. And whilst they may only be giving you a few dollars, um, and it may only take a few seconds, it takes a lot of mental effort and a lot of trust you know, to, to do that. And so I, you have to think about motivation. And you can sort of um, put people into two camps. Your existing tribe of people, the, the people that you've met, the people on your mailing list, the people on your social media, people that you're that already know you, and then the potential new audiences. These are people that you don't know now but might be interested in what you're selling or what you're promoting. Um, so I think the, the the tribe that you already know, they're going to be quite reliable. Um, st- maybe not hugely – they're going to be more reliable than the audience. But you still might not convert as many people as you think, but you're going to – have a higher success rate. So those people you might want to spend more time being a bit more personal. You know, spending a bit of time to email some people that you think uh, have the ability to donate money and uh, might be open to it, individually emailing those people may make sense. But when it comes to your new audiences, people who've never met you, it's not worth putting that much time into it. It's more worth, it's worth reaching a larger audience for these new communities. Um, And there are some really good tools that are available to everyone sort of understand more about who your potential people could be and how, how many of them there could be so if you go into um, facebook.com and you put slash ads ads um, that's the you begin the process of being able to buy an advert on Facebook and anyone can buy an advert on Facebook now what I'm suggesting doesn't involve you spending any money or actually purchasing an advert but you go through a few of the steps because very early on it'll say who do you want to reach who do you want your adverts to reach And you can then start writing and filling in the boxes. And you could say, I want to reach people this age to this age, men or women that speak this language or demographics, I mean, there's a thousand things you can pick. And the key is there's an interests uh, thing where you could search different interests. So if your film is about um, horses, then you might say, okay, I want to reach men and women who are 18 to 65 uh, who like horses and what it will and in the, in the UK or in the U S or wherever you think your audience might be. And it will tell you how many people roughly um, fall into that category. Um, And then you're able to sort of say to yourself, okay, do I want to make this broader? Do I want to say everyone who's into animals, let alone horses, or do actually, because I need a motivated audience, this is too broad. Maybe I need to make it more specific. So maybe I need to say people who are into a certain type of horse, or in stressage or, you know, narrow it down. And what you're looking for there is to sort of, th- to check that you're not going too narrow because you're not trying to find people who live in your street who like horses who are called Frank, that's too specific. Um, but if you just say, I need people, then you can't really write a compelling um, marketing campaign or pitch for them because you don't know enough about them. There's nothing that unifies them or, or, not, or not enough at least. So things like that will allow you to go and have a look at who, uh, how big your audiences might be and, and you can sort of judge how specific you need them to be um, and then the last thing I'd say is that you don't have to reinvent the wheel you know if there's been a crowdfunding campaign that's very similar to the one you're thinking of running and it ran six months ago 12 months ago 24 months ago whatever it is and it was successful I can almost guarantee you that if you reach out to the filmmaker they'll probably get back to you and talk to you in some way because we're all filmmakers we're all into the same you know the same thing And ultimately you're not competing with them. So if you find this amazing, you're trying to raise $10,000 for this short film about horses and you find this other campaign that ran six months ago, $10,000 about horses, similar area and creatively sort of a similar sort of film. If you reach out to that filmmaker and say, First of all, well done, well done for raising the money, that's great, uh, you know, we all support each other. Um, but also, what did you learn in the campaign? And crucially, you know, is there, can you help me, give a, give me any advice about how I could reach people? Or maybe even, you know, would you consider uh, helping promote my campaign to your existing backers? They may or may not do the last one, that's a big ask. But if you're able to help them in some way as well, maybe they have, they're thinking of running another one in six months and you say, okay, I will pay you back that favor that might be a way that you could already find people that you know are into your topic and are willing to back things on Kickstarter. Um, That kind of thing is not something I can say exactly it will work X percent of the time, but I can guarantee you, if you're willing to put the effort in to do the research and then reach out to some people, you'll understand your audience a lot better and you'll reach far more people.
0: Exactly. Oh my gosh, the hour has flown by. I I still have so many questions. Well, uh, (laughs) I... Thank you. First of all, I just have to thank you so much for sharing all of this information. And uh, I hope that that you'll come back on our show in the future and bring us some of your statistical analysis. That'd be fun.
2: Anytime. Anytime. I'd be delighted to.
0: Oh, thank you so much. And thank you, Claire. Great for helping us and bringing everything together. We appreciate it. And so, Stephen... I want everybody to know that it's the book is called How to Crowdfund Your Film. Check it out on Amazon. And thanks for joining us. Thank you, Thank David. you so
2: much. Bye-bye. Okay.
1: Thank you. Bye. Thanks Bye. All right. Bye. Mhm. And to our listeners, I want to tell you how grateful we are for the donations you have given at FromTheHeartProductions.com to support our podcast. Carol and I sincerely thank you. And we'd love to hear from you with ideas for more shows. What are some topics that you would like covered? Who would you want interviewed? And who are your... Who are you interested in for films that you would like to hear some discussions on? We are always open to your feedback, so just let us know. And please join us next week for the Art of Film Funding podcast. Now, in its second edition, Carol Dean's popular book, The Art of Film Funding, has 12 new chapters to cover all areas of film financing and how to avoid expensive pitfalls. Learn how to start with an idea and end with a trailer. How to make an ask for money. Create your story structure and your trailer. Legal advice, fair use, successful crowdfunding, how to ask for music rights, and what insurance you can't shoot without. Available on Amazon under Carol Dean and at FromTheHeartProductions.com.